I'm Loki Karuna, and this is Triloquy. Happy Friday. Happy Friday, February 16th. And sorry that I couldn't join you last week. I've been spread a little thin. I'm going to be honest with you, really grateful for all of the uh, folks I'm, I've uh, been uh, honored to collaborate with lately. Shout out to the uh, National Flute Association. Shout out to the uh, Black Orchestral Network doing some uh, stuff over there. Shout out to Yale University and my contact, Dr. Albert Lee, all sorts of stuff going on. So, uh, and of course, all of myself with the American Composers Orchestra. So sorry that I couldn't join you uh, last week, but uh, so glad to be back with you here this week uh, for the Triloquy Podcast. Shout out to the longtime listeners and longtime supporters. This show is only possible with your help. Thank you so much for your continued support. If this is your first time to the Triloquy Podcast, Triloquy is a show built to decolonize this idea of classical music. So each week I uh, come and feature uh, an interview with a mover and a shaker in the field, all toward that larger goal of broadening our ideas and our perspectives and the conversations adjoined to this idea of classical music or so-called classical music. For more information on the show, uh, to check out past opuses, to learn about some of the folks who have made it possible and to contribute to the cause, visit the website T-R-I-L-L-O-Q-U-Y.org. This is another special week on the Triloquy podcast. I, you know, have been Feeling uh, some some of life's challenges, you know, that uh, another reason why I couldn't join you last week. So uh, I invited uh, my dear friend Jonathan Gibbs. Uh, Jonathan is back to uh, talk with me about life, about this uh, industry and the what we're fighting, but also uh, offer some of his own updates as a recent uh, member of the Desoff Choir. So uh, a little bit of music to feature today, some really great uh, conversation and uh, a really great example of uh, <laughs> what it looks like for me to just, you know, turn on the microphones and uh, engage conversation with folks whose uh, company and opinions and uh, values that I, I really uh, appreciate. So um, we also, uh, at the end of this conversation, sort of get into you know, some of, again, my challenges, I'm a little vulnerable in this week's triloquy with Jonathan's help. So uh, really glad to offer that to you. And at the end, at the very end of this opus, you will hear uh, Jonathan and I promo a show called The Boys Are Black in Town. So <laughs> so keep an eye out uh, for um, the latest episode of my latest project uh, with Jonathan. That'll probably be out oh, maybe in a, in a week or so. We'll, we'll see how his uh, production goes. But Keep an eye on that. Uh, there'll be links in the description to, you know, all of the things that uh, y'all are connected to. But in the meantime, hope y'all enjoy this special opus, opus 230 of the Triloquy podcast featuring dialogue between myself and the one and only Jonathan Gibbs. Hope you enjoy. So you know what the. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, does is it the thing that people teach you how to drink as you grow up? What you mean? Because nobody ever taught me how to drink. And so I have already go. gotten tipsy by sipping this thing that Dell made for me too fast. Hen a little Hennessy? A little Henny. Mm -hmm. I poured it a little quick. Well, I, no, I drank it a little quick because <laughs> I'm already feeling a little lit. I poured, I poured it a little uh, heavy, and it's also probably all at the bottom. Oh, my God. Yeah, you might want to start. I think I caught bit. up to you. Well, you know I'm recording, so. Well, <laughs> well now I'm your whole ring get killed. 
it's funny, you know, we're we're sitting here drinking Hennessy, and you said it's something that the blacks and the Asians. I like. didn't say the blacks. <laughs> I said I'm black and Asian, and we both are. I didn't say I. We could get into that later, but I don't like the idea of saying the blacks. Because... Sure, sure. Okay, well, the 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 way of my saying it aside. Another thing that I always think about this time of year when it comes to the intersection of celebrating blackness and celebrating, uh, in this case, uh, specifically China and Chinese culture, is the film Rush Hour. I feel like we should make more of a big deal about watching Rush Hour around Lunar New Year time. The it's usually February. Black History Month. Is, yeah, Lunar and Lunar New Year. That could be a thing. That, that, that could bring us together. I've very much thought about that. Um, <laughs> I created the Black and Asian Alliance Network. And that's uh, we have a conceptual idea called the uh, Black and Asian Film Festival, mm-hmm. and Rush Hour is the centerpiece of that. Yeah, of course there is on within that community or that set of communities. There's ongoing debate over whether Rush Hour is a good thing or a bad thing, um, for various reasons. It you know, minstrelizes it it, both parties, both I parties. Think. But yeah. that, but that's my point is that it minstrelizes both parties it goes both ways mm-hmm. and when we're in conversations with black communities and asian communities you know we can go back and forth with each other or we can say like yeah it was a show written by white people and or a movie written by white people and it used jokes on both sides and it didn't age well it was the product of the 90s and the 90s was a time of like making the worst jokes you could but at the end of the day realizing that what you have in common and then moving forward and that's exactly what Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker's character did in that, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm at the point in my life when I'm here to learn. I'm here to know better and to do better. But if uh, if if I'm not if if I'm not getting any pushback or you know b- my perspective isn't being broadened in a certain way, I'm just gonna continue to love things. And rush hour for me is <laughs> one of those things. Yeah. Now email me and tell me why that's problematic, and then fine, I'll cancel the movie rush hour. But no, <laughs> so you're doing what? Maybe I'm in I a mood today. I was going to say today. something, but I'm not going to. You're doing what certain people do. Mm-hmm. Uh, fine. <laughs> I, I'm fine. I just won't like that anymore. No, educate me, and then I'll react accordingly. Mm. How about that? Okay. All right. Well, one of the things that uh, I guess some people say, fine, I'll just cancel it to me, is every time I bring up Handle. And I actually haven't been talking about them for a while it, it well, randomly last time comes i was up. here we talked about them well that's the thing it's something that always comes up when i'm talking to other folks but i'm not actively thinking about this white man listen I'm, i don't i don't you know sing the messiah uh, whistle it when i'm doing clothes or, or all that but... <laughs> hallelujah when we're doing clothes and stuff that's a... but anyway uh the, the, my white jesus my, my way of segueing into uh a conversation that you wanted to bring up about handle, I guess you have uh, recently been re-engaged with the uh, the the slave stock owner himself. Well, it is Black History Month, <laughs> and at the Met, uh, so I don't. You're newer than I am to. I've been here twelve years, um, mm-hmm. um, but I'm just now getting back into like the art scene and like the um, should shall we call it ele- elevated experience, high classical mm. circle spheres. After leaving where I had been for the past decade. And what pulled you back into it, I guess, as, as some My context. love for choral music. Yeah. My love for choral music. But the point, what I'm saying is, I don't know whether it's called the Met or the Metropolitan Museum. Because I know I thought that the Met was that set of buildings over there on the west side at 72nd Street with the Dave Geffen Hall, if that's not. Oh, that's Lincoln Center. 
I, well, all of that is the Lincoln Center. Yeah, they. Yeah, when you say I'm going to Lincoln but Center, but the opera that's is there too, and that's the Met, right, right? The Metropolitan Opera, and then you have the ballet to the left. Exactly, and but the there's also the Metropolitan. There's the Met the Museum, Museum on right. the east side. Right. So I think typically are they both called people, the Met? I, I've called the Opera the Met, and I've called the Museum the Met. But so okay, I, so yeah. there. Okay. Yep. We're not going to erase the conversation, but just I feel edified in my not knowing that both of those are called the Met. See, they these ivory towers are so ivory, we don't even know what to call y'all. <laughs> Just so white, <laughs> they're blinding to us all. Anyway, you went up in the Met. So the Met had um, a handle, what was it called? Oh my gosh. Um, made in America, handle, handle, picture it, handle, mm-hmm. <laughs> made in America. Oh my goodness. And um, I think your colleague was uh, the host from WQXR. Okay, yeah, shout out to uh, uh Terrence McKnight. Yeah. And it was uh it was kind of like a combination of uh I guess history of black folk in America and black music, so mm-hmm. ne- a lot of negro spirituals. And the I was proud to be able to sit in that I was at the dress rehearsal. Yeah. Um because Malcolm Merriweather is uh a choral director and plays harpsichord. Um and so we got Desoff Choir's members which announcement i am in the desktop choir yeah we'll talk about that in a minute. um got uh tickets to the comp tickets to the rehearsal so it was this juxtaposition of handel's life and then i guess like the black american history of music in america okay um all i know is that i was sitting there and anytime they sang a spiritual i knew exactly the arrangement i was like oh okay that's the um so the first one was i know that i've been changed and it was the Dandridge arrangement and mm-hmm. because I've been drinking this henny. Um, I forgot Damon Dandridge. I think don't I, don't get me to say wrong names on here. Already. Dandridge is the man's Dandridge, name. Yes. And then there was um, a lot of others that uh, having gone to uh, HBCU. I almost said HBCU <laughs> as if I'm British. But it's but you know the music because it's your music. music. Yeah, you studied it. Studied culturally, it you're connected. I mean, you should. Yeah, so the connection to Handel was very interesting because it's the stuff that you've taught me, uh, the slave trade and where he got his money and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess the message ultimately was that Handel, through his connection to the divine, had a change of heart after he had a stroke and gave all his money that he made to children's hospitals or something, or orphanages. Okay, so... I need you're the telling me that I face. you're telling me that I need to applaud Handel because he took all the money that he made from black atrocity and he gave that to a whole bunch of little white babies and now all is good and all it is good. It might done. have not been white babies in those <laughs> orphanages. Maybe it was like immigrant babies or Romani babies. You don't know. Maybe it's the who was the ones that was being well, maybe we just need to fact check this, but we love yeah. to we love to redeem the the slaver. We love to redeem the colonizer. True, I will not argue with you on that. But okay, so they they did. But some I did handle. enjoy. I did. I enjoyed the. <laughs> I enjoyed the um, program. It was neat. Um, so I had handle, but also spirituals. Yeah, saying. it was. It was more like everybody was black. First of all, oh, okay. So this goes back to the last conversation that we had of like, are you supporting a white institution with black music mm-hmm. or? A black institution that does white music. This was like literally the combination of both. Yeah. But it was at the Met. So mm-hmm. museum. Sometimes it feels like, and I used to talk about this with Scott. Shout out to Scott. 
Hey, Scott. Why the black music needs to be accompanied in the space by one of these so-called war horses. Again, it's like we're going to let the Negro music in as long as Beethoven thinks it's okay, as long as Handel thinks it's okay, so they can be on the same program, so you're good here. But if Handel wasn't here, get your Negro ass out of here. You know, that's that's how it feels to me I, when I, these spirituals I, have I, to always come with Admittedly, admittedly, I was up there thinking like, this probably would have been a really great thing without Handel at all. <laughs> like, <laughs> mm-hmm. It would have been a great program regardless. So, um, yeah, I think I need to, this is just me off the dome, like recalling this thing in my initial thoughts. I'm sure maybe there would have been program notes that further, you know, um, uh, expound upon why this combination. Yeah. Um, so, but those were the just my general thoughts on that, and it it really rang. I I had invited you to this, but you're very a busy person. You are very busy, especially um, if you're talking about handle. I probably will probably always have something it. else. See, to this do. is why if <laughs> roll the tape back to the last episode where I didn't even tell you about Elijah because I knew you would not come, and then you were like, "Well, you should have told me anyway. We would have met you afterwards." But that's but that's Mendelssohn. Correct. <laughs> okay, but to me they're all the same. Um, Sorry to say it. Well, for the for the sake of Black History Month, I wonder if you'll talk about um, some of your history with not just singing the music but studying the music. I remember you were one of the first people that I can remember really talking about the Negro spiritual as early music, as you know, this vernacular music. It's so easy. At least it was easy for me to write it off in my colonized, you know, so-called conservatory trained mind as just folk music, something that used to be saying as opposed to something that has performance practice around it, something that uh, needs to be upheld to the same degree we hold up these, you know, European motets and and all that stuff, you know, can, again, considering your proximity as a singer. It's different for instrumentalists, but, you know, as a singer, that's that's what y'all do. That, that's that's the that's the juice of it. That's the core of it. Sorry, what's the question though? <laughs> the question is: Can you talk a little bit about uh, your engagement with it as a field of study, and not just something that you've done over the years in church or 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 here and there? Hmm. I mean, it's surprising to me, first of all, in all of that, to hear you say, even back then, what was this like, two thousand eight? Mm-hmm. Back around that time, that you, so we are both from Memphis, very black city. Mm-hmm. Um, grew up in blackness. You really didn't know that like spirituals were more than just quote unquote the world music, how they like to classify and well, like there were practices because you grew up in a church, right? But through, but right, but through what context would I have studied? This music. It's not like they cover it in music Life. theory. It's not like they covered in music theory courses. We're not playing the music in orchestra or or, or that sort of thing. It's not included in well, music I, history. Okay, so like I'll, th- I'll, th- there was no way. Okay, I'll say this. I'll I will say this. I went to an HBCU, Rust College, mm-hmm. in Holly Springs, Mississippi. And a lot of the student population is either from Mississippi or Chicago. There's a very uh tight connection. Yeah, shout out to Megan Oglesby. Yes. Shout out to you. Um, And many others. She was in my class. Um, And a lot of these people, so I came, you know, my, when people ask me, where are you from? You know, as a racially ambiguous person, Mm -hmm. 
I could guess what that means. It's not the same. It doesn't have the same impact as like an East Asian person getting that question. Well, where are you from? Like that. Yeah. There's a lot of baggage there. For me, I always am like, okay, are you asking this because you want to know what my ethnicity is? Or are you just generally, you want to know, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I say all this to say that even growing up in Mississippi and having been all over the place in other places, I also was very ignorant to like Negro spirituals going into my freshman year of college. Um, But once we started rehearsing and we started learning about these things, it prodded me and others that you've had on this show to like really go into the study and like learn more about the history and care and almost gatekeep the performance practices. Mm -hmm. This is around the rise of YouTube. Yeah. So, you know, you got choirs posting spirituals. And I remember uh, you had a guest on here, um, Marcus Garrett, who um, I, we used to text back and forth, Yahoo message back and forth, like send each other YouTube links and be like, well, what do you think about this? Mm-hmm. And it'd be like an all white choir. And it would have been that's that Damon. Da- I hope his name is Damon Dandridge. I'm saying it. the Dandridge. I know I've been changed, Yeah, but it's all white. And I never had a problem with white people singing spirituals, but it, like, altering the score to like include a bunch of runs in the beginning it's like and i just remember to sort of blackify blackify you're it. saying yeah and we i remember conversations of us being like no this is not cool but of course we were students back then mm-hmm. and now we are adults and some of us are professors and you know and run the shows and are in organizations and but what, if, to but what about the black people who blackify the music because we will blackify a piece of music what do you mean? Like you're talking about adding the extra runs. What if it's us but that's doing what we that? Do. Is that so? That's okay. <laughs> of course it is. Why not? So the white okay. So adding to the me. list. So the white people like, can't say the n word, and the white people can't do extra runs. <laughs> they could do extra runs if they want to. It should be done well, though. Okay. Oh, but okay. Within the context of a spiritual, mm-hmm. they wasn't running up and down like Kimberell. Right. That's true. It's it's right. I don't know it's why a, I said her? But, but that's <laughs> the but that's the thing. That's back to my original. That's the point, question. though, because black right. music it, it is, is a not historic... just those things. That's what I'm no, saying. Black music is not. So there are different kinds of black music. Right. You got your spirituals, your work songs, your gospel music, which came your, along your much Bill later. Your Bill Hollers, which is even before. All of you that, know. your country music, mm-hmm. and all of this stuff. So it's not just blackifying yep. for the sake of, or I should say you should not just be throwing a little blackify on there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing my fingers like it's a, it's a It's a historical music. And, and I think really the point in the question I was trying to ask was, you know, you're having experienced the spiritual as that and not just what we sing at church or not okay. just what I hear. Because for a long time, that was my relationship with the spiritual. And there's no way that that relationship could have been different as a bassoon student at a predominantly white institution. I see. Well, there's a lot to learn about spirituals. And and with a black um, teacher, no shade. And, you know? and with a black teacher, and then also just the history and the time that you're talking, whether we're talking about when they were just the field songs out there or when we're talking about when HBCUs adopted them and used them on their tours in order to attract white money to mm-hmm. go back to the institutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, HBCU, historically black college universities, have a long history, starting with Fisk, sending their choirs out up until I was an undergrad and probably still do, um, sending their choirs out singing spirituals so that white folks would be like, oh, wow, look at them. They're singing the thing. Like. I'd never put two and two together, but again, with the rise of YouTube, a lot I used to find a lot of spirituals 
being sung by choirs in different European countries. And it wasn't like a one-time thing. It was like an over and over thing. And I'm like, oh, because they really like that. I used to go to Mississippi Boulevard Christian Church in downtown Memphis. Mm -hmm. And every week, like they had uh, tourists come every week that they, they had enough where they had a special section for them because they were the type of people that would come in stay for the choir stuff and then and leave, then leave. <laughs> and then apparently that's the same thing that they do up here in harlem mm. oh, at really? abyssinian so they reserve the back row pews so that people can come in and look and i never i never imagined the church that i grew up had to go you know grow up wake up on sunday morning have to do to be a thing that people wanted to go to to just observe and then leave yeah yeah because they were not familiar with that Right. This is something that we grew up with and probably got tired of sometimes. And then mm-hmm. we look back and we love it now. But this is something that they just don't have in their life. And they're coming to like, oh, what is this? But you're tapping into something there, because even with the relationship or lack of a relationship that I had with the spiritual until I became a, an adult, there was no such thing as spectating it. It was always you either in something it, you are participating in or, that, yeah. or you're just standing there, you know, Clapping your hands to the beat, uh, and that's not wanting to be there. But you're still even there. if you're doing a, a little light step touch, you had to the be pew, there. You know, you, <laughs> you had to be there. And that, and, and yeah, there's something to that. And maybe that's a part of the disconnect when we're talking about a spiritual on a program with Handel. Handel's music was written to be spectated. The spirituals did not exist to be spectated. That was always a participatory thing. So maybe that's why it just always feels so disjunct to me. Not not just well, the fact that I'll Handel did X, Y, and Z. But I, I want to push back on that because okay. when I alluded to, or rather when I said that HBCUs send the choirs out to sing the spirituals that that the, then the purpose has changed mm-hmm. it's for corporate consumption if you will like the sure. capitalism yeah to work in favor of the hbcu because they knew that these white people wanted to hear this music right um i don't know how that connects to today and the program that i've just highlighted at the met museum mm-hmm. um that's going to be my long-running joke that i'm gonna, the met museum sure. versus the met opera but um I remember sometime within the past 10 years, I was challenged by a white British person who was like, the spirituals, and I don't know what his study was, but he didn't study a lot of other things in depth that were black. So I, why should I trust you with this? So like, if, if I can't trust you to study this other thing that I've sure. called you out on, then why should I trust your opinion yeah. on Negro spirituals? But his his feeling was, this is like a black American thing. Why should it be watered down into classical singing for white consumption? I'm like, there's a whole re- there's like a whole history as to why it was put down on sheet music and black people sang with the bel canto technique in order to make it sound like a white choir. And again, we, we we have to let go of we're that not limited idea to not them, singing like that anyway. And, and them owning that word classical or 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 creating exclusivity around that word classical. The spiritual is classical music. I'll tell you this. After my first semester at rest, um the holiday concert or Christmas concert mm-hmm. because it's a Methodist sure. church or Methodist school. Um some of my people from the county in Mississippi that I grew up in came to see it. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, one of the people from my church, uh, leader in the church, is like, Jonathan, good job. Y'all sounded really good. 
I didn't know black people could sing like that. Mm. And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, you know, like opera. I was like, well, this was not an opera. This was a Christmas concert. And we did sing Hallelujah Chorus. And uh-huh. other people did sing from the oratorio handle. And of course, that was me being fucking bougie, using all those words. See? As if he would know what an oratorio See? was. But maybe he did. I don't know. I was, We're I just, all products of this system. Looking you know? down on people yeah, and stuff. I talked about that it. last time. I was, I was in my era of like, oh, no, I don't like gospel music. <laughs> <laughs> your true all that, bougie all era. That hollering <laughs> and now that's all we want to hear is the hollering yeah, we wish they would holler tired more of the classical stuff yeah or not the the the, the white centric whatever there we go blah, blah, blah. eurocentric the, the eurocentric da, da, yeah. da, da. but you know what now i'm even evolving in that because i recognize look i'm pointing my finger in your face again <laughs> <laughs> the henny is landing because i recognize that as a european export now, and I talk like I've just been all over the world just because I went to Japan one time. But <laughs> but now I can appreciate it as being a European export. And I can, and, and seeing how other people also like it, especially, I, again, last time I was here, I was like, even Japan, all the way over there, they like right. European music. But they like it because it's that thing over there. Right. And maybe some of their schools or maybe all of music all over the world is dominated by their learning structure or whatever. Mm-hmm. We're not going to get away from that. Right. I think. But I'm able to look at it as like choral singing and this this beautiful like um, sound and the tuning and stuff. Um, as opposed to other things, I see that other things are there, too, and I enjoy them. I see the gospel music, too. The gospel music is there, too. Yeah. And I enjoy it and I love it. Um. Now I can appreciate it a little more. The problem for me is that it's still centered. It's still thought of as like the dominant or the supreme thing, the the thing that we should all. And I'm like, no, I just don't see it. And again, anymore. systemically, go systemically. to it, go to any college, university, certain conservat certainly conservatory, and get a degree in music education. Mm-hmm. Okay, that that's just about as general as you can get outside of the and you're specializations be- of majoring in bassoon, like I did. So music education, what is going to be centered? You can have a doctor, you can have an EDD in music education and not know, you know, uh, the secret life of plants by Stevie Wonder. Like, you know, there is there's just such a depth of uh, of music that's out there. And when and in the in the practice of it, again, what we're talking about before performance practice, we are centering the European tradition. Here's a question for you in that same vein. I know what it's like for singers. What is it like if, whether it's community or maybe semi-professional ensemble, or even the biggest of the big, which you've been with, um, what's the criteria for your audition pieces? If there even is an audition piece, or do they issue it? So with singers, it's like, sing, you have to bring two pieces, one that's classical and then one that's, um, uh, it's like two pieces. And it's always like European and actually, I sent you something mm-hmm. via text message from a black organization yeah. that was like, it has to be in the European style and then like this other thing. Well, we've talked, I've talked about this a lot on Triloquy, but it's, it, they're excerpts. So they'll, they'll get a list, you'll get a list of anywhere between 12 and 20 excerpts from famous 
orchestral pieces that feature your instrument in a certain way for you to play. So, you know, for, for the nerds out so there, of black course. So people that wrote these things? It'll, no, of course not. Okay. It, it'll, it'll be... You mad at me like I you know, uh, asking the question. The, the, the big one is uh, Mozart's Concerto. There's uh, The Rite of Spring by Igor Stravinsky, Marriage of Figaro, if Mozart. You, you know, if you play bassoon. So every instrument has those different things, but even those center, of course, the, the, the white tradition. You know, anyway, it, it's, it, it's deep, but we, we, we beat that horse a lot here on Triloquy. I do want to move on, but okay. speaking of auditions, you mentioned that you uh, not so long ago, semi-recently, auditioned for the Desoff Choirs, and now you're a member. I wonder if you'll talk about that process. What was that audition like? Oh, yeah. Um, Shortly after that, the last time I was here when the Elijah happened, I was like, oh, yeah, that was beautiful. Like, great. Beautiful gowns. <laughs> Wait, no, no, no. That means that. OK, for all those that don't know, beautiful gowns, if you hear that, means that you did not. Sing if, well. if, you, if you know, you know. OK. <laughs> it's Black History Month. <laughs> so anyway, the audition was really uh, great. Um. I the, where they rehearse, which I'm not going to disclose because I don't know, you mm -hmm. know, people might show up or whatever. Sure. Um, but it's a beautiful hall, and I remember singing, and uh, Malcolm was leading the audition, mm -hmm. you know, up and down the piano. Um, I just heard my voice, and I was like, "Wow, this is cool!" Like, I don't know, I. I was a vocal performance major in undergrad for a while, and then I had to. Then the 2008 crash happened, and I had to get real with life mm -hmm. and work at a retail job instead, with the promise that I'd get back into music one day. But that promise is now in the form of like just being in community ensembles, I guess. Yeah. Whatever. Anyway, um, just hearing my voice and being like, "Yeah, I remember this voice." Like, wow, it sounds good. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and then you know, he asked questions like. Uh, it, I, oh, I remember there was like this one exercise where he's like playing up in like four notes and I had to sing them back. But where I was kind of, uh, and th for those of the nerds out there, you're going to be like, why is he impressed with himself on this? But like he would play chords and be like major, minor, diminished, or augmented. Mm -hmm. And I like immediately, like back to back, just doing them. I was like, afterwards, I was like, wait, how did I know that? Like, why did I just know that? Mm -hmm. But it's because I had, I was at one time a big music geek and sure. like just studying and studying. And so. That sticks with you, I guess. It's like riding a bike. Um, got in. Uh, it was it was my put my brain to work. He and first rehearsal back from the holiday weekend, and Malcolm's pointing at people, four people. Come on, let's go. <laughs> Ain't nobody seen this music before, and we're sight reading. Well, and, and so this is we've had this conversation before because you will shade choir people. And you'll text me during rehearsals <laughs> that you're having talk about why is it that whenever we have to go over something, it's the choir's fault. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I don't know what choir you're working with, but there are choirs out there that people know how to read the music. It's plenty of time when it be the orchestra fault. It's been many times where it's been my fault. So. Well, let it be known here today, because for the time that I've known you, you've always shaded singers. We've had this... Uh, Back and forth about. See, this was before. This was before my so decolonization. This is the same, this I was is the wearing. Same. I was okay. wearing shirt socks back then. For mm. goodness sake. <laughs> okay. But anyway, you okay? So you got in the choir. What are y'all singing? Because we're because we can sit here and talking about oh the black music doesn't need to be accompanied by Handel. What y'all doing? Are y'all centering black music over there? So Valerie Capers is uh look look her up uh because. I don't... <laughs> Look her up. She wrote uh, a opera, operetta. A, no, no, no. It's oh. a amalgamation of opera and oratorio. Oh, operatorio. Operatorio. Okay. Oh, I like it. 
for Sojourner Truth. Mm. And we're, I mean, by the time this comes out, it'll probably have been too late. It's going to be like this coming Saturday. Mm -hmm. But the interesting thing about this is, uh, if I remember correctly, Malcolm said at the last uh, rehearsal that there were two two performances of this in probably 1985 or 1982. Mm -hmm. Henny right now. So fact check me. Go ahead. But um, no recordings. And we're going to make the recording. Oh, wonderful. Of this black woman, this black woman's operatorio. Oh, I love that. About a black ass thing. When is uh, when is that happening? Uh, the 24th. So I don't know if this is going to be out by then or what, but. Oh, this will be out. Yeah. So oh, they'll, okay. have some, they'll have some time. And, and just for. If you're cl- in New York. Yeah. And just for clarity, this is an album release or is a concert it's that's a being concert recorded? concert that's oh, being okay. recorded for, I think, an album release. Okay. That's oh, because I'm going to be out of town. That's the, you already told me about this. I'm not, I'm going to be in Minnesota. Oh, okay. something. But anyway, for folks in New York. It'll be on the 24th, and uh, I'll, I'll put the information in the description of this. How about that? Cool, cool, I'll put cool. a link in there. I was at Ijuma Oluo's um, book event. She wrote, So You Want to Talk About Race. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I was telling people there about it, and they were seemed very interested. Uh, I just think that it's amazing work. Uh, it just It's this idea that, you know, we, as much as you talk about it on Triloquy and as much as I talk about it in my life and on social media, we and I don't want to say like it is what it is, and so we just have to live with it. Mm-hmm. But it kind of is. So yes, I am in the Desoff choirs. Yes, it is a very white organization. I'm probably the only, maybe three, uh, two other black people are in it. I'm not sure. I would but, have never guessed that based on what they put out, and that's not shade. Like I would assume this ex- is a black choir, but that's exactly choir. the point, right? Yeah. Because they do have Malcolm there. Because I'm thinking about Sanctuary Road. He's bringing he's bringing Margaret Bonds up a yeah. lot, um, and then this, which has never had a recording. So he's doing the work in that way, and I appreciate Malcolm Merriweather for doing that work. I need other people like him. You do this work all the time, um. It's not easy because, again, how I said, like, it is what it is with how a certain type of music gets centered and kind of have to represent for everybody when you're in a position like you are and how he is. But how do you use your power Mm -hmm. to take an all white? Maybe it's easier for choir. I'm sure in orchestra world, it's very difficult. But. You know, Malcolm, he's the, I don't sit up here and sound like, but we're name lifting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, name lifting. Exactly. Uh, you taught me that. But like, he got, what was that? My my ice in this uh, glass. <laughs> oh. <laughs> see, my exactly. grandma would say, see, God don't play. Like, <laughs> Right. Or maybe it's, maybe that was a tongue pop from the ice saying mm-hmm. I'm speaking the truth right now. Because mm-hmm. we're going to say, he, he is like, how much higher does it get than being the director of the choral affairs at the new york philharmonic yeah and yeah. that's who that's what he is but goodness gracious the ladder you have to climb to do it the road you and got the to BS that you gotta deal with that's what i'm saying who? when you get up there because you know well well i i think that's a good uh place for part one so how about again we're gonna name lift uh, and listen to a little bit of Sanctuary Road, since I did mention that from the Dissolve Choir. Shout out to Malcolm J. Merriweather and everybody over there. A little of this to get us into a triloquy for the week.
And now that I'm looking, it was actually the Oratorio Society of New York Chorus and Orchestra behind that recording of Sanctuary Road with Malcolm J. Merriweather as one of the featured baritone soloists. So still shout out to Disoff, but uh, shout out to Malcolm and all the folks involved with that. You know, it's reminding me of, uh, you know, Minnesota is very much a, a choral place. Oh, yes. Yes. So, of course, we were in front of the uh, the the local, uh, I think it's called the One Voice Collective, like a, a queer choir. There are women uh, centered choirs, youth choirs. It's, you know, shout out to uh, Her Voice Productions. I, I could name choirs all day. And because I, we were in a place that was so rich with them, of course, we're going to be at a concert every now and again. So Minnesota really got me back into uh, choral concerts and the and the choral arts. And uh, so look, look, looking forward to seeing one of your shows here in New York. Yeah, I am very happy to be there. Um, the music, you know, the ensemble, as you just heard, amazing. Uh, just me being in rehearsals, there's we're doing like a we're doing a piece, and forgive me, we're late into the hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's like the main chorus, and then we've situated a smaller ensemble like in the hallway of the venue. Okay, and it just sounds heavenly. Mm. The music is so good, better than anything I've been in before actual choral music <laughs> am i being shady right some now? choirs that exist here in new york city <laughs> yes some can and some cannot yes. <laughs> and the one that i'm in now can and in the and does in the words of patty labelle from got to be real some people are invited and some aren't exactly. <laughs> anyway we're here uh in this week's triloquy so um jonathan i'm so glad you're here because it's something that i want to bounce off of you so you know folks know that i'm typically really really good about you know making sure the uh, show comes out once upon a time every wednesday and and really pumping them out but i've slowed down um you know just due to heaviness of life and uh last week i couldn't even bring myself to get in front of the microphone and and put out a show because the professional world uh my professional world anyway has just been weighing down on me so much and i have to say it's refreshing for me to hear your story about coming back into the field and really enjoying it having positive experiences when for me it feels more and more like uh, impossible to really, quote unquote, decolonize this thing, because at the end of the day, it all points back to this colonial way of creating music, this white art form that we're pretending that we're changing. We're pretending that we're, you know, uh, shifting. But at the end of the day, we're not. We're just making it stronger. We're just fortifying it. And sometimes that leaves me with the feeling I hate to use the word hopeless. I try never to be hopeless, but sometimes it just feels like I you you can't beat them, so you might as well join them. And I'm not good at joining them, so it's uh it's weighed heavy on my heart. I, I wonder how how you respond to this idea of classical music being too far gone to save, being too far gone to not make it white supremacist art making. Well. When I was in high school, the history teacher, God rest his soul, he passed away when I was in high school. He was a football coach. Um, 
but he was also the history teacher. So that lets you know where I came from, like the place where the history yeah. teacher was also the football <laughs> of coach. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> he, but he. And you called him coach in class? Coach in class. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, he gave us a statistic. I don't know where he got it from, but I've heard it repeated since then many times that by 2050, do you know where this is going? No. By 2050, the United States will be a majority minority. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, demographic. That I heard that in 2002. Mm-hmm. It's currently 2024. We're like halfway there. And it takes a long time to make these changes. And I, and I don't want to discredit or devalue the significance of that. And South Carolina was and is to this day majority black. You just have they just had the biggest plantation. That didn't mean the numbers resulted in some sort of liberation, any sort of freedom. What plantation was that? Because my family comes from South Carolina. Well, uh, of course, there wasn't a giant South Carolinian plantation. But, uh, but my point is, the majority of the population in South Carolina in the antebellum South were enslaved Black people. So them being the majority didn't mean that they were empowered. I see. I see. I did I, just a weird aside because I was doing right. the genealogy right. tree and I found out why all the men in my family are named John in some form or way. I'm mm -hmm. Jonathan, my dad's Johnny, and then my grandpa was John and then so forth and so It's because there's a place called John Island. Mm. And you know, it wasn't no black person owning something <laughs> called John Island back then. <laughs> so I was like, hey, oh, y'all wasn't on vacation. <laughs> we were not on vacation. <laughs> but I say all this to say, yep. it takes a long time. And the works that we said, like in the last segment, what you do, you're out here, you're a leader. People mm -hmm. look up to you. You have to do it. And I want you to imagine a hundred years in the future when people look back on your podcast and they say, Loki started slowing up on his podcast. He used to do it every week, but these were the signs that he b had burnt out. Mm -hmm. And then he ended the podcast. I want to talk about a white man in the media, or at least YouTube media, called, called named Philip DeFranco. He has been doing his YouTube news show since 2006. Wow. And he often talks about how he almost burnt out, but he's still going strong, at least as of today of in, you know, 2024, a show every day. Sometimes he switches it up. Sometimes he's doing Monday through Friday, Monday through Thursday, but he's kept at it just because this is his job and this is what yeah. he does, but he has to mire himself down in the news. He has to do the work. Um, this is your livelihood. It's not my livelihood. End of the day, it's not my livelihood. It's, yeah. I can get into it. I don't have to talk to these people. I don't have to play nice. At this point, I'm not playing nice, but I'm not playing mean either. I'm just here to sing the music because it sounds beautiful. I happen to like it. I like other kinds now. I don't look down on others. And I, I appreciate y'all's little European music. And so I will, I'll sing it too. Black people are so shady calling stuff lul. <laughs> your little friend. Oh, I love your little new car. <laughs> oh, your little apartment. You still doing those little plays. Yeah. Uh, oh, 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 your little podcast. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> anyway. Okay. That's, that's encouraging. But that's a, but that's a yeah. different, but mine is definitely a different viewpoint than yours. Yeah. Because the thing is, uh, the, the it's balance, not my life. What, what, the, the, the push and pull is, oh my gosh, I'm beating the same fucking horse week after week, you know. But you don't know who you're but inspiring. Al but also, the stuff is still the same. And, you know, I, I'm not going to say no names. We're not going to get too messy on here. We ain't but, drunk enough. <laughs> but uh, 
one of the sort of tipping points, you know, so I, I, my relationship with social media is definitely slowing down. So if I post something, especially on Facebook, it's either some sort of announcement of something mm -hmm. or some just sort of, uh, you know, ingest comment to sort of inspire some conversation or whatever. So anyway, last week, I think I posted something like, listen, we need to decolonize the uh uh, concert experience. If you want to leave, you shouldn't just be expected to sit there and have something happen to you that you aren't enjoying for the sake of respect of it and the next one's yeah, I didn't say all that on the post, but anyway, there 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 are folks who are really married to this idea of classical music, orchestral music having inherent good that you couldn't possibly call this music, call this tradition colonial because of how good quote unquote has been for society how good it's been for the west and when there are people like really sitting in that opinion and being in positions of power and having co-signers it's like goodness gracious we ain't never gonna get there that's the feeling that just rushes over me when when i when i engage you know the, the the pushback to the work that I'm trying to do. I think you have a we're both we're both smart people like, and I think we both gained the knowledge in at least 2020, if not before, to know to not expect too much from people, mm. especially because of 2020. And when 2020 happened, the Great Reckoning, I was the first one that I know amongst the group that I was in saying. This is not going to last. Mm -hmm. Like y'all are, I mean, the gushers and fruit by the foot are saying black lives matter. Come not fruit on. fruit by the foot. Fruit by the foot. <laughs> and I was like, okay, there, this is, this will pass. People are just riding the bandwagon. They are. And sure enough, but yeah, that, that does give a feeling of hopelessness. But you have to navigate that. And let's just say it. This is triloquy, especially when you got the black co-signers, the, the, the folks for whom the, the status quo has been benefit. And not to say that I haven't been, but we have all but we are all oppressed and oppressor. OK, Dis disclaimer. And for some people, it's really worked out. And it, again, strengthens the ecosystem for it to be able to say, look at this person, look at these people. They don't seem to have a problem with X, Y, and Z. It, it must be you. You're you're the issue. That's the sort of gaslighting culture, or at least gaslighting baggage that I I, I think I have with uh with, with with what's going on. But um, you know, and the and the other thing is, as as you've been pointing to, full time versus doing it just for the love of the music. You seem to have such a more peaceful relationship with this music because you visit it and engage with it I on your terms. I can come over and then yeah. I can go home. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not something that but I girl, have to- girl, I live here in the opera house. <laughs> right, I don't have to be over there all the time. I can, they have to, you know, so, but you know, you you live in it and we all live in it in some kind of way. Yeah. Again, how yeah. I, I set this up was, you know, I don't want to seem like hopeless, but it kind of is, but it is what it is type thing. And James Baldwin said it best, mm. right? Come on, black history. To be a Negro in this country- and to be relatively conscious Ooh. is to be in a rage almost all the time. Yeah. Yeah. What can you do? Well, for me, I chant. Get along. <laughs> chant. Drink something. Do, do what you got. A smoke get your a little paycheck. something. Because yeah, whether you're in classical music or corporate America, you're, you're part of the system. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I guess really that's what I'm beginning to look toward. Um, there are so many people who have been talking to me about expanding this message of decolonization outside of classical music, really trying to connect with professionals outside of music, other political thinkers, though those sorts of folks. And I, I think that's also what weighs down, just thinking about music as one of the arenas, one of the Pokemon gems that mm. has that has to be conquered. When it's a whole but when when everything is that. But how you much know, do they actually care about it? How much do they actually care about the decolonization? They care enough to learn what decolonization means so that they can talk about it to their friends. Mm -hmm. And then they can all say, oh, we know this. We know what it is. Oh, it's wrong to go against this. But literally, we're all part of it. And we can all see it because we're the black people here. We're the people of color. here. We're the marginalized in the situation. We can see if y'all wanted to make something happen, you would make it happen. Because what is a thing that just happened? I, I, literally, I don't even know an actual example, but there are pl plenty of them. So many of them where people got so mad about something and then it was changed mm -hmm. because so many people were outraged. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and again, that's a part of it. All of these concert halls having seasons that straight up center Europe. We should be out in the streets and if, if not out in the streets, not giving them our money that it's it's that simple. And we and we can't but we even don't have do the power that in that arena. Uh, yep. Loki, we don't have the power. If if yep. every black person that was associated with classical music right now decided to pull their dollars, mm -hmm. oh, and yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that and that's the other thing. Oof, goodness gracious! But so do they even really yeah. have to do it for us? Now we're cooking. Mm -hmm. Do they even have to do it? Should we just be happy with what they gave us? Should we start our own organization? You're being very quiet, and I don't know why. Maybe it's because you're thinking about maybe there's efforts that I don't know about, or maybe you're you're just mulling it over. But I think that would be it. Like you have to build your own thing. And if I'm already saying something you already know, then stop me. But we have to build our own things. How about we pause there, and this is where we'll pick up on the boys are black in town. How how, how about you promo that a little? How how can folks? hear the rest of this conversation. We have started a new podcast that we, since I was on here last time, mm -hmm. and we said looking into 2024. And this one is on video, girl. And this is so. a video one. So <laughs> you all can see me pointing my finger at Loki's face <laughs> for real <laughs> on YouTube. Uh -huh. My YouTube channel is Jonasan, J-O-N-A-H-S-A-H-N. Um, and so that's where it currently lives. Uh, if we start doing this more often than once a month, we'll probably make like a little website or something. There goes that word little again. Mm -hmm. Like a website. <laughs> like a little website. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like a little Girl Scout cookies. Anyway, we have to build our own things. We'll pick that up on The Boys Are Black in Town. But in the meantime, thanks so much for listening. Really appreciate y'all. And uh, I'm going to keep fighting and see y'all here uh, next week. So until then, peace. Peace.